You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is solar industry veteran and solar analytics representative Nigel Morris. Nigel, how are you? Giles, uh, highs and lows this week. Highs and lows, I have to say. It's, uh, there's stuff going on everywhere. There is stuff going on everywhere. Look, I'm feeling yeah, a little everywhere. bit peaked because someone tweeted about our podcast last week. Oh, really? And look, they're quite pop- complimentary. A listener. <laughs> a listener. A listener tweeted a listener. about our podcast. They were quite complimentary, but they said this. We had, we, we had, our voices were among the sexiest in the solar <laughs> podcast world. And I want to know. Who are our rivals? <laughs> Who could possibly be considered in the solar podcast world to have sexier voices than we do? I well, I, I don't. I mean, after our technical start or non-technical start today, I was going to ring Alan Jones and say, "Jones, it's okay. There's no threat. Um, <laughs> uh, we should probably get onto Lawsy as well." I don't know whether Alan Jones quite qualifies as a solar podcaster. I mean, for a start, he's, he pronounces it solar. Solar, yes. Solar, yes. and he doesn't like it. No. Anyway. Anyway. Look, um, look um, some good news, though. Um, you've, you've done a tally of people listening to our podcast. 30,000 listens, Giles. Can you believe that? We um, That's a milestone. Um, I don't think you or I either thought. Um, we'd still be sitting here uh, now, but uh, 30,000 listens to um, all our episodes. So to all our listeners, um, massive, massive thank you, I think, is in order. Um, I think we need T-shirts and, you know, embroidered slippers, um, good quality merch. Uh, we've got to come up with something because people are asking, Giles. So thank you to everyone who tunes in. Thanks indeed. In fact, look, I think once we get to about 40,000, I think we should probably um, put them all in a uh, football stadium and do a live broadcast from there. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, maybe all energy, right? All energy is coming all up. Energy. All energy. Uh, can we put 40,000 in, into the all energy conference? <laughs> well, we can certainly do a live podcast, and I'm up for that if you're up for it, Giles. God, look, we'll give it a go. We'll give, give it a go. go. Great yeah. idea. Great idea. Mate, what's um, been happening this week? Look, there's a bit of policy happening. Um, now, you've got a really good announcement. But before then, I just want to get into something that's um, for our New South Wales listeners. I think many people mm. in many states are probably going to get a change in feed-in tariff. Um, IPART, the, um, um, what do you call it? Independent them? Pricing and Regulatory Tribunal. That's the one. Mm. They've come up with a further revision downwards of their recommended solar tariff. Mm. I think they've cut it to about 6.9 to 8.4 cents. Look, it's only a guide. People can do what they want. But mm. um, look, a, a few problems with this. One, iPart never has really been a big fan of solar and doesn't really understand what it's there for and, and what it does. Mm. Um, it justifies this reduction on the basis that wholesale prices are coming down. Why are whole, wholesale prices coming down? Because... <laughs> We've got more rooftop solar, so that's fantastic. And why should rooftop solar owners get more than the wholesale price of electricity? Um, They say because that would add to costs of everybody else. And they point out that if owners of rooftop solar got paid double the wholesale price, then the cost of non-solar owners would be 
$20 a week. That's 50 cents a week. But of course, as is usual in these things, they don't actually claim the benefit. So you can imagine that if the $20 a year, higher, I think, not $20 a year, $20 a year, sorry, $20 $20 a year, year. 50 cents mm-hmm. a week, $20 mm-hmm. a year. But you could probably rely on the fact that um, the reductions in the actual wholesale price because of rooftop solar would be significantly more than $20 a year. So, mm. um, look, a bit disappointing. Um, but, but, very but disappointing. I think, I, I think a lot of people will probably be keeping their tariffs up high anyway. For the moment, um, up here in an overland up in northern New South Wales, still at 16 cents. Not too sure how long that's going to last, but... Um, Mm. Yeah, yeah, look what happened. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting to see them talking about it. You know, having an impact of twenty dollars a year, um, and and you hear all the hype. And I I do, you know, when I'm bored and uh, catching the train, sometimes I jump on uh, the Energy Australia um, Energy in Australia Facebook page or um, yeah, Craig Kelly's Facebook page. It's always um, it's it's kind of like the alter ego for the Batuta advocate. It's always good for a laugh and doesn't really make much sense. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the people that go on there often talk about how, you know, the cost of energy is going through the roof because of renewables, because of renewables. Well, you know, when you get right down to it, the cost of all the subsidies typically adds about 100 bucks a year for a user. And to hear IPAR coming out saying, you know, this little tweak would, would be $20 here, $20 there, you know, really in the grand scheme of things, we are still the smallest component of an electricity bill and um, not really the area deserving of all the uh, all the um, focus, I would suggest. Well, in fact, they actually do quantify what all the other schemes amount to and they say that's $25 a year. Yeah, so, there you go. Um, there there you you go. go. Yeah. But look, on some more positive news, you guys, have, um, you guys at Solar Analytics have struck a deal with AEMO. We have. We have. And, and this, I guess, the <laughs> despite, you know, all the argy-bargy and the, and the BS that we hear out there, um, AEMO are out there um, fully embracing the need to to um, uh, understand what's happening with solar today and energy consumption at a, at a micro level and also trying to forecast that. And we've been working for a long time on a product that we call the data product where um, we can share some of the um, uh, information that we've gleaned from having now over 22,000 monitored sites out there. So uh, we've signed an agreement with um, with AMU this week to share some of our data so that they can help understand the, what's going on in the distributed solar and energy market and allow them to forecast what's likely to happen better. So huge news for us. You'll see a press release in the next couple of days. In fact, in the next couple of days, Giles, keep your eyes on the uh, fax machine there at Renew Economy HQ. A uh, couple of press releases coming through that might interest you. Well, there you go. I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. I look forward mm-hmm. to that. Look, well done. And look, it's interesting to note um, AEMO, um, they actually um, released a report a couple of weeks ago, or just, was it just last week, um, just about this. Um, um, well, they're forecasting that 45% of all supply will come from distributed generation, which is rooftop solar, battery storage and demand management and electric vehicles and all that sort of stuff within about two decades. So as you guys pointing out, and presumably that's why you're giving the data, not much is actually known about the behind-the-meter solar. So it's exactly. about getting to know that and monitoring it. And um, they're sort of saying in terms of orchestrating it or controlling it. So I hope when they get down to orchestrating it and controlling it, um, it's not to the detriment of rooftop solar um, owners, but um, hopefully just uh, for the benefit of, of them and the grid in the whole. Yep, I, I agree. And I think, you know, the fact that they're open to um, 
they're open to uh, spending a little bit of money to get some really, really granular data and to really dive into this. That's a that's a great sign. You know, that you, every, mm. if you start from the data, you know you've got a great uh, benchmark to, to build on there. And of course, we're seeing we're going to see more data out in the next couple of days about the uptake of rooftop solar in the latest month, of June, and therefore mm. whole half year. Mm. Um, and as more and more people are turning towards uh, rooftop solar, it's probably a good reminder about um, how you do that and how you do that in a proper way. And um, Finn Peacock from Solar Quotes has written a book, and you've done an interview with him. Yeah, great, um, a really good read. I was lucky enough to go down to the launch and um, have read his book a couple of times now. And uh, the other day, I was lucky enough to get him on the phone. Apologies for the quality of the line, but um, here's a little interview with him where I asked him all the pertinent questions I could think of. Joining me now is Finn Peacock, author of the newly published book, The Good Solar Guide and owner of Solar Quotes. Welcome, Finn. Thanks, Nigel. How are you? Um, very well, mate. Been, uh, <laughs> been a busy uh, few weeks. Launched I bet it has. So, so why did you write this book? Let's start right at the beginning. What motivated you to actually sit down and write a book? Well, the first reason was I couldn't really believe that there wasn't a book that helped people understand and buy solar aimed at Australians. So, you, you know, you have a look on Amazon. or If you had a look on Amazon uh, a couple of months ago, there's the Dummies Guide to Installing Solar, which is aimed at basically DIY, DIYers in America. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an English book that bangs on about uh, what exactly what angle your solar panel should be to the nearest degree and, you know, how great lead-acid batteries and charge controllers are. Um, so just, yeah, there's just absolutely nothing relevant to the Australian wanting to put solar on their Australian home and deal with Australian rebates, Australian solars and, you know, all the other fun stuff about doing solar in Australia. So I, I just thought, yeah, man, better write it, better write a book. Well, well, bless you for doing that, mate, uh, because it wasn't until you made that comment that, uh, and I dug around a bit the other day and had a look and went, yeah, damn it, there is nothing else out there. And, you know, I've read the book from cover to cover more than once now, and it's, it is a great read, mate, so well done, well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, I tried, tried to make it easy to read. I hope it was. I mean, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little bit there, there's a little bit there in that book for everyone, uh, which is what I really liked about it. So, so for for listeners, uh, you know, the, the, who is the book really aimed at? It talks about solar and it's obviously about how to get good solar, but who is it aimed for, Finn? It's aimed at the Australian homeowners. Um, unfortunately, renters is a whole other kettle of fish, as you know, who. You know, they know that solar is probably a good thing. They're seeing lots of solar going up, but they haven't mm-hmm. pulled the trigger and bought solar yet. And in my experience, and, I, you know, with solar quotes, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people in this situation. It's generally because they're overwhelmed um, about, you know, getting all the information they need to make sure they've got a good system. And secondly, they are worried about buying a lemon. Um, and there are, as you know, there's quite a few people selling lemons out there. So, um, but one, I want to arm them with the knowledge so they avoid the lemons. And uh, thirdly, you know, there's still an enormous amount of people out there that aren't convinced that solar's worth it. Yep. Um, you know, in Adelaide, we've seen three-year paybacks. You know, best case. Um, so, <laughs> so I think people in the solar industry are bewildered. I think we take for granted that solar for 
you know, most people, it's such a good return on investment that we don't realize that there's a, still a lot of people out there who aren't convinced, um, you know, that Selva's going to get, you know, they're going to spend, what, six, seven, eight grand. They're not convinced they're going to get their money back. Um, so wow. I try and walk them through some really simple calculations so they can work out for themselves, you know, what the payback will be based on how much electricity they roughly use by day compared to by night. Because I think if you do the math yourselves and work it out, you're much more likely to actually believe that the almost too good to be true payback for solar in Australia is there. Right, right. So, so I mean, is there a big problem with bad solar in your view? There is. Yes, there is. Um, it's not as bad as it used to be, hey? Um, but it's... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people selling stuff that you look at it and you're not convinced it's going to last much more than five years. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, uh, and I think the big, I mean, I think the Clean Energy Council's done a pretty good job on upping the standard of panels and inverters. And the big problem now is um, the rust install. And I think that's where, I think that's where the weak link is in most bad systems these days. I mean, there's still the panels that I wouldn't personally be happy with on my roof, but it's, yeah, it's some of the installs you see, which, you know, <laughs> shown uh, up front and centre on crap solar on Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just getting banged up um, because yeah. the solar is so rushed. Yeah, yeah. And for the and for the listeners' benefit, um, Finn's been doing this uh, solar quotes is his business where he helps connect uh, potential solar buyers with solar installers. And, and you've been doing this for more than ten years now, Finn, right? Oh, just under ten years. I think it's nine. LinkedIn told me the other day, nine years, six months. Excellent. So another party coming. I look forward to that. So, so the great thing is with Finn having spoken with so many consumers and helped so many consumers, hundreds of thousands, I think, uh, over the years, um, he really has got a kind of an independent view on what these problems look like. So for the listeners' benefit, it is really great independent advice. So uh, what's the thing, in your view, in, in writing this book, What's the single most critical thing that you would recommend to solar owners? What was the what was the number one thing that came out of the book that you would recommend they do to get good solar? Well, well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the reason it's seven steps because there's seven things they've got to do. But I mean, it's, it's got to be. I mean, let's be honest. Most most of your problems can be solved by engaging a good installer, um, because the good installer will have the knowledge to, you know, give you good advice, give you good hardware, give you a good design. Um, and, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the magic bullet, if you like, that solves all of your problems. But the problem is, how do you know you've got a good installer, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, so it, and when you, and sorry, when you say installer, you mean not just the dudes who are going to climb on the roof and bolt yeah. things down and connect the electrical. Sorry, I mean, yeah, I mean, so the Who's company that's going to sell you the yeah. solar, yeah, so yeah. what to look for. So, I mean, you'll see in the book that um, I resisted the urge to just tell them to go to Solar Quotes, my website. Um, I mean, I did, I did suggest they can do that if they like. But I gave them lots of other avenues, you know, how to look up um, Clean Energy Council approved solar installers. Uh, solar Council master installers, pros and cons of that, even, you know, other uh, lead generation sites that um, I would recommend to a friend, not that there's many. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's very powerful, having that, knowing how to do your research to make sure that the company that you're using uh, is is the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great, great, great. 
Um, and, and, and so, you know, the other thing that we hear a lot about in our industry, um, uh, notwithstanding that, you know, I do the seven steps you've done are, are, are great. Um, uh, we hear a hell of a lot about tier rankings on solar panels, and, and there is not a day goes by that I don't see another ad um, <laughs> talking about how these panels are tier one or this inverter is tier one, and so you should use that. What, what's, what's your advice? to buyers on, and because the panel is a critical part of the equation and understanding the quality is a critical, critical part of the equation, equation is one of the steps that you have there. In simple terms, what's the best advice around that you would give consumers around tier rankings? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, I think tier rankings have been and is useful. Um, a lot of people totally dismiss tier rankings. The problem is it's been used, as a, it's been used uh, by people selling crap to, uh, it's been abused, right, um, mm. by people who, you know, find these sources of cheap panels and either lie that it's tier one or, you know, it, it actually is technically a tier one, but it's not one that, you know, most people with knowledge of what panels are good would recommend for various reasons. So um, tier one is a good initial filter, but it's not the be-all and end-all. So... You know, yeah. I mean, you have you have to do your research. You have to talk to someone you trust. Um, mm-hmm. That's why you know we put these charts on our website on solar quotes of panel brands we trust, uh, inverted brands we trust, and we've just done racking brands we trust. And yeah. that's so that's you know that's in our opinion, the guys at Solar Quotes, that's the brands that we would be happy essentially to have on our roofs. And we rank them from just based on how much, you know, they sell for um, at the wholesalers. You know, relatively, you know, these this is classed as a budget panel. This is classed as a premium panel. And you know, so a they can see that yeah, that's a that's a legitimate brand that hasn't just rocked up in Australia and hasn't had you know had problems with crap panels coming in under, under their name, as far as we're aware. And yep. they, you know, if the salesman's telling them, oh, this is a Rolls-Royce system, they can see if it's on the right-hand side of that chart, then it is actually a premium panel that you will be, can expect to pay more for. But if it's on the left-hand side of the chart, that's actually a budget panel. Um, so don't believe the guy if he says this budget brand is, you know, the Rolls-Royce. You know, that's the other disabused term. The two most abused terms in the solar industry are premium solar panel and tier one solar panel. Hey. <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, all right, we're going to have to wrap it up soon, but two more quick questions for you. One, um, uh, listeners would know I work for a monitoring company, but I could not help but be very excited and gloating a little bit about how much you talk about the value of monitoring in your book. Why? Why does monitoring feature so heavily for you? Uh, it's, I'm, I'm just a huge... I'm an ex-engineer, and, engin, you know, I've spent, you know, over a decade in a previous life installing expensive equipment um, that people depend on to generate revenue, so whether that's manufacturing or power generation equipment. And the thought of putting in a, you know, a, an expensive system that generates money every second it's up without monitoring is just, it's just ridiculous to me professionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, secondly, we get so many questions every single day into solar quotes because um, we answer a lot of the public's questions for free. That's just one of the things we do for good karma. Saying, you know, I think I've got a problem with my system. Can you help? Um, yeah. Every single time, we're, have you got monitoring? And if they haven't got monitoring, 
Yeah, kissing in the wind, trying to work out what's wrong with it. And you'll see this on the forums and on Facebook as well, and say, oh, you know, I've got this system, and I looked at the inverter, and it's generating this many kilowatts. And, you know, there'll be 157 comments trying to diagnose the system, and it'll be like, we just need to log into your monitoring, and we could almost certainly tell you, you know, just give you a definitive, qualitative answer as to what's wrong with it. Um, yeah. And... And we also, you know, it's just so common we get people coming in saying, oh, my God, I've just got my quarterly bill, and it's, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand dollars higher than it should be. Um, what's going on? And you're like, oh, Jesus, wouldn't you like to know about that a couple of days after the system failed rather than three yeah. months after? Um, yeah. But just, you know, I don't know, you're spending six, seven, eight grand on a system, send the extra 500 bucks on monitoring, um, because I think it's going to be on the roof for 25 years, even if you aren't in that house for 25 years, you owe it to the next people who's by the house to, um, you know, give them some insight into whether the system's working. Beautiful. And I could go on. There's about seven other reasons that, you know, <laughs> we're running out of time. We'll, 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 we'll do it. Yeah, read, read the book, The Good Solar Guide. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it from goodsolarguide.com.au, if I'm not mistaken. Goodsolarguide.com. Uh, com. thank you. Uh, yeah, you, but I haven't redirected it yet. <laughs> I might do that right now, actually. <laughs> you do, yeah, there you go. Uh, one last question. Uh, you're in a lift. Uh, Minister Josh Frydenberg, walk, walk, Josh Frydenberg walks in. Uh, you've got 15 seconds in the lift with him, just him. What are you going to say to him? Stop bitching about high electricity bills when the solution's staring you in the face, mate. You can buy solar now, and even if you can't afford it on your... 400 grand a year or whatever you get, you can almost certainly get low-cost finance through a green loan where the repayments will be less than the savings. So just stop bitching about high electricity bills. Thank you very much, Josh. <laughs> Beautiful. I'll uh, pop that down to Senate estimates tomorrow and <laughs> suggest that they use it. Finn, it's been awesome having you on um, and uh, good luck with the, with the book and look forward to talking to you again, mate. Cheers, Nigel. And so that was Finn Peacock asking, answering the questions of Nigel down in Adelaide at the book launch. So thanks very much for that. And um, again, apologies if the sound quality wasn't the best, but um, that's okay. Um, look, at this point, it's probably good to thank the sponsors, Solar Analytics and PV Cell um, from Sunwiz. Thank you very much for your good support. On this topic of solar and good practice, um, let's do some good solar and some crap solar observations. Um, mm. Good solar, you go first. Mm. There's been some uh, there's been a, a, a frenzy on Facebook over the last few days. For for those of you who are installers out there, um, um, I'm sure you're all very well aware that there's been a change to the DC isolator standard, which has caught, it would seem, almost the whole industry by surprise. I'm not going to go into loads of details except to say that I'm hearing mixed stories. I heard, um, literally saw an email literally just a couple of minutes ago that said it's been confirmed in New South Wales that you can continue to use DC isolators on the roof. What this is all about is trying to lift the quality in DC isolators because they've been recognised as uh, a potential risk area, which we've touched, which we've talked about in the past. Um, uh, but what it would appear has happened here is the uh, rule change has been shoved through that has pretty major ramifications for the whole supply chain. It's come very fast. It's caught everyone by surprise, and so everyone's a bit unclear about what they should or should not be doing now. Uh, so um, I think, as is always the case, DC isolators, small component in a system, but something is very, very important. So for installers, make sure you're tuning into all the alerts from the various industry bodies that are coming out, and if you're an end user, make sure you get a great DC isolator on your system. 
And also for an end users, um, look, we, um, God, we talked about this a couple of months ago on several different occasions about the mm. letters that are going out offering these really fantastic deals on batteries, um, noticeably the 1.2 kilowatt hour in-phase batteries. You could get them at about 20% off for the grand price of about $6,000 or somewhere around that time offer. Um, look, it's completely bogus because uh, those sort of batteries are around about half that price. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking you're getting a good deal, you're not getting a good deal um, and really be wary. Anything that comes like that through the post, you need to be wary of and stay well clear and at the very least do some due diligence and ring around and compare some prices and um, just Google it for a start. I mean, mm. that'll get you so um, far. And um, look, there's been a few, a few more casualties out there in, um, in solar world as well. Um, Nigel? There has and uh, you know there's no doubt that it's tough out there. I'm watching the insolvency reports every day and seeing uh, a variety of names of different companies you know some new some old um, and uh, so it's clearly you know still volatile and still a challenging industry to be in. Some of it's the natural ebb and flow but um, uh, what what actually blows my mind I was talking to uh, someone else I know who's been in the industry for a long long time yesterday and we were talking about the things that really bug us and uh, it's to me, Giles, it's like there's somebody out there who has a button that they can press that says, make a new solar company and they press a button and a website appears and it offers 6.3 kilowatts for $2,990 and it's a never-to-be-repeated price and it's a special and blah, blah, blah. And these sites are popping up by the day. It is just incredible how many... Um, uh, really, really, really low budget price uh, offers are out there. They're not real. You're not going to get good service. You're not going to get good quality. So I really urge uh, caution on the, on the part of consumers when you're shopping around, um, uh, you know, be extremely careful and do your due diligence. Now, part of this <clears throat> is to do with what's going in China, which we touched on last week. The changes in the um, the tariff structures and the incentives that are available in China has meant that the Chinese industry is now trying to keep its factories running and looking around the world saying, what else can we do with this product? And um, it's clear from talking to a few people around the industry that the, that's already having a price impact. We're seeing uh, lower prices than have ever been reported before for imported product coming out of China. Um, some of it will be perfectly good product. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there are some wonderful Chinese solar manufacturers, but some of it um, could well be B grade, it could well be leftover stock from particular projects. So, um, you know, be very, very cautious in, in a time like this again. Um, you know, so maybe we haven't seen um, the, the lowest uh, of the PV price declines yet. Um, we, may, uh, we may yet still see some more declines uh, over the next few months. Well, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and Matt, let's move on to sort of EV and battery news. Uh, we had this mm. wonderful story last week about um, the electric vehicle down um, at the at, um, deployed by BHP in the Olympic Dam mine. And look, it's particularly interesting because Tesla has been Elon Musk over at Tesla has been boasting about his uh, electric Ute, yes. um, which is which is really really quite interesting actually. This is a Ute which will actually have enough supply there for people to be able to use all their tools, so they won't have to sort of plug things in or have a generator or anything like that they can just roll their ute up at a, at a site with no no power and just plug into the plug into the battery so that's going to be um, exciting but um Re really 
really interesting to watch. I actually rang this guy, uh, rang one of the guys behind this company, Giles, because I was, uh, you know, hang on, that's a different company. This, this, the yes. Oh. You, you, you jumped in too quickly, Nigel. Oh. I was just sort of saying, I was just, I was just crapping on about the Tesla, you, and I was <laughs> just about to wind back down to Olympic Dam, and this mob Vistra who made this Ute, this t- yeah. modified Toyota Land Cruiser, yeah. for the Olympic Dam, which goes underground, and really a place that you do not want to be driving diesel vehicles. But you take the story from that one. You talk to him. Well, it, it was it was an amazing story because a I hadn't come come across these guys before. They've been quietly uh, in the background there, and and the company behind it are a mining services company. So they provide fleets of vehicles and do all sorts of vehicle maintenance and various other things. And and interesting when I got talking to their uh, one of their guys, I said, "What was the driver behind this? You know, was it that?" Will you tell me what the driver was? And he said, the driver is diesel emissions. There is a genuine health and safety issue with diesel emissions, particularly once you get underground. And they've been looking for a solution for it. They're being pressured by insurers and everyone else to come up with a solution. And this vehicle is the outcome of that. It was developed by these uh, by uh, this team down in South Australia in conjunction with, um, believe it or not, a, a, a New Zealand company who specialise in some very, very high-end um, EV equipment. Um, it's a, a bog-standard E-Series Land Cruiser that's stripped down, which is the quintessential Aussie ute um, if you've got the dough to get a high-end uh, uh, um, a Toyota Land Cruiser. And they've done a absolute cracker job of of building it um of course it's all mine safe and everything else so it's a you know it's a pretty high-end build but when i got talking to them about the performance characteristics of it of course what's really interesting is it goes down a massive decline it goes downhill for half of its shift so the great thing is they've tuned it to have a terrific amount of regen and it's also quite heavy it's a it's a heavy vehicle and they haven't really tried to strip down the weight they've kept that there to build momentum so they can regen while they're going down into the mine which extends their range it's uh you know from a performance uh, point of view um it it's the main one that they built for this test only has a, a top speed of 30 k's now which is all they need for trundling around inside the mines um but uh, the beginning hopefully of something really really exciting and and good on those guys down in south australia for uh for investing a lot of time and money it's fantastic, and that's really great, great to hear. Story. Great little yeah, story. Yeah, good one. Yeah. 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 Now, look, um, you've got written on your list here. IMEV owner arrives in Australia. What's that about? Oh, so this is the Dutch guy with the IMEV, right? You, I think you wrote about this on uh, One Step the other day. Uh, oh, as, as yes, a, no, yeah, of course. The, 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 the guy that's done eight thousand, yeah, six thousand k's, yeah. yes. Yeah. Range anxiety, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So he's he made it to Darwin a few weeks ago, which is an incredible, incredible trip in an IMEV. It's not a big luxury car so here's a guy just uh, out there he's looking for places to charge up uh we've put an invite out for him to pop into the office and we can give him a fast charge here but great example of you know how enthusiastic people are to just get out there and show people how, <laughs> what what you can do with electric vehicles and and bless him for traveling so far Look, I know an IMEV owner um, who used to live up here in Byron Bay and actually had a, had a bit of a drive around um, Byron in his little IMEV, which sort of reminded me of a sort of a, a matchbox put on its side and you wouldn't want to be mm. driving it in a strong wind or anything like that. I mean, as cute as they are. Um, he <laughs> drove down from Byron Bay to Sydney. Now, this is before there was any fast charges put along along um, the, the road from uh, Byron to Sydney. And he reckoned it took him four, three or four days, I reckon, by the time yeah. he stopped off and plugged himself in. Takes um, time. But look, things are improving. So, yeah, um, they are. So and that's good. Speaking of which, let's go to Pikes Peak, right? I was banging on about Pikes Peak last week and Volkswagen won. I don't know if you picked up on that, but Volkswagen 
Uh, I think we ran your story, didn't we? You, you did run my story, didn't you? Good on you. Um, an incredible result. They not only smashed the all-time record up the mountain, but they smashed it notably, uh, and they beat every petrol car in the race. It is really something quite astounding, and if you haven't watched any of the YouTube videos, it's really worth jumping on and having a look um, because when this thing goes past, it it the sound is indescribable it's like a turbine it is really something else and the um the noise the comments uh, the commentary from the crowd as it goes past just gets more and more colorful but really something to watch this thing go up the hill and a great example of what's possible um following on the back of that only a week later um porsche um set a new record as well the nurburgring famous circuit in germany um they took their hybrid evo so it's a hybrid um, um, EV car, but uh, they smashed the record around Nürburgring by 50 seconds. So again, you know, in the, in the world of competition, what we're seeing is this is where everything's starting to happen down there, really pushing the boundaries of uh, of what uh, what we're going to see, no doubt, flowing onto street vehicles before long. Well, that's right. Yeah, look, um, and I'll probably actually at that point sort of point out the um, the interview we had on the Energy Insiders podcast this week with uh, Tim Storer, the independent senator from South Australia, who has uh, proposed and will chair, which is very unusual for an independent senator, a parliamentary inquiry into electric vehicles. And hopefully this will be a platform for some common sense to um, suddenly take hold across Parliament House and some decent policies to encourage and facilitate the uptake of electric vehicles in Australia, because we're still dragging our chain. We're still, you know, probably only 2,000 vehicles or 3,000 vehicles to be sold in Australia this year, which is about half as many as in New Zealand and about a fraction of what's happening overseas so uh, that's an interesting interview with Tim Storer so I'd recommend uh, people listen to that one I, I haven't had a chance but I really want to because that is quite big news to, to hear it reaching that level and, and you know obviously the attention level is going right up uh, down there so that's really really good news yeah, look, and there's actually some half-decent and half-reasonable people on both parties uh, on this committee. Uh, it remains to be seen whether we get any sort of this partisan nonsense that sort of you know, imperil the debate about climate and energy policies, but it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what emerges from it. It is, and hopefully we can put some of the myths to bed um, uh, from some of, the, some of the other people down there in Parliament that seem to be keen on spreading, so that would be good. And it's a call out too for anyone who's got anything to say to actually make a submission to the parliamentary inquiry. Oh, there you go, Nigel. Off you go. I'm typing now. Typing now. Joel's. We've probably got to wrap up soon, but I wanted to throw in one other really cool thing. Um, I stumbled across uh, a YouTube channel by which is called EV TV. While we're on the topic of T, uh, of EVs, um, it's run by. An incredibly colourful um, American guy ball called uh, Jack Rickard. Um, there are loads and loads of episodes on there and he does all sorts of crazy things um, with electric vehicles, converting all sorts of cars. And the episode that caught my attention was that he recently purchased a Model X, uh, a late model Model X uh, that, that had been driven into a lake of all things, uh, destroyed and driven into a lake and he bought it as a wreck. And there's an amazing one-hour episode for the geeks out there where they strip the car down and pull the battery pack utterly to pieces. Now, that in itself is kind of interesting if you're interested in batteries, but what's more interesting is what they discovered is uh, he described it as the most amazing and incredible battery pack that, has, that exists on the earth today. 
Um, and when you see the way that Tesla are building these and what they have done, one of the things they've done, for example, is they've, by constructing it in a clever way, they've managed to take out more than a kilometer of cable from the build, right? So there's a kilometer less cable than there was in the previous version of uh, of the Tesla. So they've done some incredible things in how to just how to build this and how to make it safe and how to make it. Um, a really, really high quality production product. So really entertaining, worth worth an hour when you're sitting at a bus stop somewhere. So tell me, are EVs a bit like laptops? If you get wet and um, your, your battery goes flat, it sort of voids the warranty? Um, well, they are and they aren't. I mean, using the Tesla as an example, I'll give you two examples. So using the Tesla as an example, I mean, the amount of effort they had to take to to actually get into the battery cells was phenomenal. They are so well encased and protected in multiple layers of protection, in fact. Um, and in the case of my zero electric motorcycle, um, mine is also not only in multiple layers, but it was also fully encapsulated. And a lot of them are, a lot of the battery packs these days are filled with a goo so that they, you, you can literally submerge them. And, uh, and my bike is an off-road bike. It's designed to you know, cross creeks and, and be in the rain all the time. No problem at all. Well, there you go. There's a, there's a goal for us all to be fully encapsulated in some form or another. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On that wonderful note. <laughs> and I did not imagine what that might mean for various people. But um, I'm going to say thank you very much, Nigel. And um, look, thanks to all you out there listening to us, um, including the 30,000. And uh, we'll be back again this time in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. Tolerance Artists was brought to you by Sunwiz, makers of PVCell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.